Well, President Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris have announced their re-election campaign. Wow, wow, wow. And to kick it off, Joe Biden said yesterday that our children aren't actually our children. They belong to the nation. Also, an interesting development, according to Vanity Fair, about Tucker Carlson's ousting at Fox News. Before we get into all that, let me remind you, especially related bros, that Mother's Day is coming up. We've got a lot of great merch at AllieMerch.com. You can use Mom10 for a 10% discount. Lots of amazing, relatable merch that your wife wants for Mother's Day. All right. This episode is brought to you by our friends at Good Ranchers. Go to GoodRanchers.com. Use code Allie at checkout. That's GoodRanchers.com. Code Allie. Hey guys, welcome to Relatable. Happy Wednesday. Hope everyone's having a wonderful week. Halfway there. All right. First, we are going to talk about President Joe Biden announcing his re-election. Very, very exciting times. He's done such a good job so far. I feel that the country is in an incredible place. I've always wondered what it would be like to pay more for eggs than I can actually afford. I've always enjoyed things like inflation and just feeling generally unsafe when I go into a city. And now I get to experience that in real life. So thank you, Joe Biden, for everything that you've done for this country. I have always wondered what it would be like to have a president that sends much needed funds to Ukraine rather than using them here or who doesn't secure the border. And now I get to know. I've always wondered. And now Joe Biden has allowed my dreams to come true. So I am so excited that he and Kamala Harris, a brilliant um, rhetorical master of our age, just like a true sage, I'm just so glad that they are on the Democratic ticket for 2024. So here is a part of Biden's re-election announcement video that he posted to Twitter this week. But you know, around the country, MAGA extremists are lining up to take on those bedrock freedoms, cutting Social Security that you paid for your entire life while cutting taxes for the very wealthy, dictating what healthcare decisions women can make, banning books and telling people who they can love all while making it more difficult for you to be able to vote. This is not a time to be complacent. That's why I'm running for re-election. Because I know America. I know we're good and decent people. I know we're still a country that believes in honesty and respect and treating each other with dignity. All right, so I'll say my honest feedback about it. The positive part is that it's a very well-made video. If it looked like it didn't flow together very well when you are listening or watching this, that's because we cut it up a little bit. We didn't want to play the whole thing, which I think is like two minutes or over. So it's very well-made, which is not surprising. I could see how it's compelling, especially to the average Democrat voter who just isn't really paying attention to his policies. I'm 
I'm sorry, but I I know some of these people who love Joe Biden, who say that they love what his administration is up to, who think that the state of the country is better than it was under Trump, and they live in a complete and total bubble. If you actually asked them to provide some concrete examples of things that President Biden has done that has benefited the country, has brought us together, has unified us in any way, or that has even just bettered their own lives, they couldn't. They couldn't tell you. They might repeat some talking points about Ukraine and democracy and empathy and compassion, but they couldn't actually tell you anything that he has done that is good for the country because they just don't know. It's just a bunch of fear mongering. Now, both sides do fear mongering. Both sides do fear mongering, certainly. And sometimes you do need to elicit fear when you're talking about the threat that a particular candidate or particular policy poses. Sure. But here in this video, and you can go watch the whole thing to fact check me on this, I didn't see a whole lot of positivity coming from Biden and saying, here's what we have accomplished and here's what we are going to accomplish. And again, when you're on the progressive side, you really don't have to. You kind of just have to give out general vibes. You just have to say things like equality, say things like progress, say things like freedom, say things like future. And you have to show some. BIPOC trans people and put some sentimental music behind it and some cursive writing and some sapia filters. And then you've got yourself an effective and compelling campaign video that a lot of people, despite where Joe Biden has put us after this, how many years has it been? Three years, almost, I guess two, two and some change years that he's been president. Despite where we are now, economically, socially, despite the radical agenda that he has pushed on abortion, on gender ideology, the foreign policy that has just gotten us into mess after mess, whether you're talking about Ukraine and Russia or you're talking about Afghanistan, there will be people that will look past all of those things. There will be Christians. There will be people who were the evangelicals for Biden who will still, who will watch this video, will be moved to tears and say, yes, this is the guy that I'm voting for in 24. They will have learned nothing. They won't look at the tangible consequences of his policies. They won't even consider how the things that he has pushed for actually align with what they believe to be good and right and true. They won't feel the effects of the liberal border policy, the dereliction of duty that he has represented there. They're not going to consider how the radical transformation of the definitions of sex and gender, male and female, affect them, affect women's sports, affect women's prisons, affect women's uh, uh, abuse shelters, affect their girls' safety and privacy. They won't even consider the evil that is supporting. The uh, supporting the idea that taxpayer dollars should fund abortions, the slaughter of children. That's something that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris support. They will just say, this feels good. This feels right. He feels harmless. He seems empathetic. 
They'll forget that Biden's DOJ has been weaponized politically against his political ideological opponents that basically sicked its own agents on parents whom they apparently considered domestic terrorists for showing up at school board meetings and actually care, caring about pornography uh, being shown in schools. And you'll notice that he said something there. He said, oh, Republicans are banning books. And we never got into that whole Florida story that you saw some so-called unbiased influencers on Instagram talking about how Florida is banning books, how it's fascistic, how it's Nazi-like, how it's so terrible that there are, being, there are restrictions being placed on what kinds of books can show up in schools and can show up in libraries. Look, there have always been regulations and restrictions around what books can be included in libraries, especially children's libraries and school libraries. You can't just have any book that's included. And so Republicans and Democrats are basically fighting over what those standards should be. Republicans rightly say, look, I don't think that we should have books that introduce sexually explicit images or topics to children. I don't think those should be included in the libraries. I don't think that that should be on the list of suggested reads. I don't think that should be presented in curriculum by teachers to kids. I don't think that kids should be learning about being able to mutilate their bodies and switch their genders. That's totally legitimate. There has always been a restriction, always been parameters around what books are appropriate for children, what books should be included in curriculum and libraries and things like that. But that's called book banning. That's called fascism by people who want to believe that there's no such thing as pornography in schools, which we've seen time after time. There is. We've seen instance after instance of this, of parents going to these school board meetings, presenting the pornographic material that their children are reading in these readily available books in schools and the school board shutting them down saying that book is too, that content is too inappropriate for this school board meeting. And the parent, of course, then makes their point that, yes, I agree. And it is also too inappropriate for a school. Don't be fooled. I know the people listening to this podcast aren't fooled by this rhetoric by Joe Biden that he employed in the last election, too. You also hear Democrats like Gavin Newsom employing this kind of rhetoric, freedom, pretending that they are on the side of freedom. I actually saw Corinne Jean-Pierre, the press secretary. Uh, I mean, she, the fact that she had the audacity to say this, she said the other day from the podium that um, that it's Republicans who are trying to defund Border Patrol and allow fentanyl to come into our country and addict our people and kill our people. That is actually Republicans who are trying to defund law enforcement and try to make our streets less safe. And so this is what you, you actually see both sides doing this right now. They're gunning for the middle. And so you'll see Joe Biden and Kamala Harris use this kind of language, this kind of freedom language, this kind of let's come together, let's look toward the future, let's make sure that liberty is secure, that kind of language, which is not to appeal to his leftist base, which is really his base. And that is the left wing of the Democratic Party. The far left is what 
directs his actual governance, his actual policy making. But it's the moderate part of the Democratic Party and the independents that direct his campaign. That may also be true for some Republicans, although it's less true. I think when Republicans get in office, they still feel that they are beholden to the moderates much more than they are beholden to the actual conservatives. But you even saw with Nikki Haley yesterday, she gave a speech for uh, the Susan B. Anthony pro-life organization in which she was gunning for the middle. She was gunning for independence. And she tried to play this, which, look, it's difficult to do. You're campaigning, you're campaigning to win. And so you have to be careful in your rhetoric. Now, this is not the strategy that I would take, but that's because I just wouldn't care. I would just want to say whatever I believed. But she tried to strike a balance between, look, I have a pro-life record. I was a pro-life governor of South Carolina. I have supported all pro-life legislation. The federal government has a place when it comes to abortion. But, but, and then she kind of gave her caveats that a lot of the Republican legislation that we're seeing in the way of protecting babies is not going to pass on a federal level. We're just way too far away for that to ever happen. She also said that we really need to make sure that contraception is more readily available. We need to make sure that we're helping women. And so she tried to kind of hedge. She tried to kind of make sure that nothing that she said was taken out of context or used against her in order to paint her as some kind of anti-abortion extremist. But here's what happened. Here's, Here's what happened yesterday. The Washington Post, the New York Times, every left wing rag out there, all of their headlines were about how Nikki Haley is lying about being a moderate on abortion. She's trying to appeal to independence, but it's just not true. She's an anti-abortion extremist. So and this is what I think that a lot of conservatives and Republicans just don't understand. Look, they're going to call you an extremist anyway. They're going to lie about you anyway. They're not going to allow you to paint yourself as a moderate and get away with it. So you might as well just appeal to your base. You might as well just say what is true. You might as well just be strong and clear. Look, you're not going to get a glowing review in the Washington Post by pretending to be a moderate or saying you are a moderate or an independent or whatever. Trying to strike a balance when it comes to abortion policy. I would I personally would rather candidate just be crystal clear, especially when it comes to the primary I mean, that's what you're running for right now. You're running for that for that candidacy. You're running to be the nominee. And so right now I need I need Republican candidates to appeal to me. I need them to say there is never a reason to kill an innocent human being. And of course, that extends to babies inside the womb. End of story. And like I would want someone to hear, look, if the government has any job at all, it is to protect life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness. And without the right to life, there is no liberty or pursuit of happiness. And so, of course, the federal government has a role to play. Maybe you don't have to get into specifics right now, but that's what I want to hear from a candidate. But as I said, you see both sides. You see Biden, you see Nikki Haley, you see Donald Trump. Gunning for the independents, gunning for the middle. Donald Trump recently said that he doesn't believe that the federal government has a role to play when it comes to abortion regulation. Why not? I mean, that's you're just conceding to the leftist side of things in which you believe that babies are a different class of human beings that don't have the same right to life as people outside of the will. 
Because obviously we understand that murder against another person, like the government has something to say about that, right? The government has something to say. The federal government has something to say about murder, right? So why is abortion different? So you see this on both sides. It'll be interesting to see what Governor DeSantis does and any of the other candidates, how they deal with this issue of um, of abortion. All right, quick pause to tell you guys about my first sponsor, one of my favorite sponsors, and that's Adele Natural Cosmetics. I love this company, not just because I love the products that I use on my skin every day, but because I love the people that run it. This is a family-owned business. They make all of their own products. They make sure that it's free of parabens, synthetic fragrances, preservatives, nanoparticles, petrol products, any of the stuff that you see used in your normal makeup or your normal skincare, they don't use it because they really care about the ingredients that they put on their bodies because Arlene started this company due to her own health issues several years ago. She just wanted to make sure that she was really careful that everything that she was consuming and putting on her skin was completely natural. And that's why Adele Natural Cosmetics exists. I love it. I think that it's reduced redness and inflammation on my face. I have pretty sensitive skin. So I love their cleansing oil. I love their moisturizer. I love their daily serum. Like I said, I use it every day. If I'm feeling especially dehydrated or dry, I will also use their moisturizing toner, their spray. It all smells amazing, but they use essential oils and natural products to make their stuff really smooth and smell really good. So it's just a comfort to know that I am putting these kinds of products on my body, but also that I'm supporting a company that is pro-life and Christian like you and me. So go to AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Use promo code Allie at checkout for 25% off your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie for 25% off your first order. AdeleNaturalCosmetics.com. Code Allie. Now, Joe Biden in that video didn't he really wasn't very moderate on that. He said Republicans are violating a woman's right to choose. That's how they're one way that they're infringing upon freedom. So like he understands, and this is true, that the majority of the country believes in abortion, up, believes in the legality of abortion through some stage of president or uh, pregnancy. And so he doesn't have to really tiptoe around that as much as Republicans do. But like my advice, which take it or leave it, take it with a grain of salt. I've never, I've never run a campaign. I've never won an election. I've never run for office, so I could be wrong. But I'm just thinking for the Republican primary, just be strong, just be strong and be clear, especially when it comes to abortion, when it comes to gender, don't try to nuance it to the point where you're not even saying anything real anymore. Like you got to get Republican votes first before you can even look at the independent vote, right? And so, but don't, don't be fooled though. Don't be fooled by President Biden trying to cast himself as a moderate. He has proven over and over again, that he is not a moderate. Kamala Harris is not a moderate. She was the most pro-abortion senator in the Senate when she was there. She was virulently pro-abortion when she was attorney general of California. They have a radical record between the two of them. Not to mention that neither of them can talk. Like literally, neither of them can form coherent sentences. It's like, shouldn't we have a standard? for IQ when it comes to the president. Now, Donald Trump definitely had his eccentricities, but he's always spoken that way. 
Joe Biden, I'm sorry, but if you watch that, he looks he looks decrepit. All right. Like, it's already been cruel and sad enough to watch him try to, like, waddle his way through this presidency. And we've all already been wondering, how is Jill allowing this? Now, we're supposed to believe that he's going to be able to survive until 2028? Dude. Honestly, like, he should probably be in assisted living. And I'm not trying to be rude. I'm being serious. He can't form words. Now, Kamala Harris doesn't have the excuse of age. She did release a statement, which I'm guessing she did not write herself. But she said, for two years, we have made transformational investments. That's true. There has been transformational change in America, I would say, for the worse. To build a nation in which everyone can be safe and healthy. Wrong. Wrong. I mean, we know so much about the vaccine now. Remember when this administration forced companies to force their employees to get this vaccine, which we now know doesn't actually stop the spread of COVID and does have for a lot of people serious side effects and ramifications. We're not safe. Look at every city that's run by Democrats. It's not safe. No one wants to live there. People are moving out of Democrat cities and Democrat states to Republican ones. Find a good job. Wrong. Wrong and retire with dignity. Um, She says, in response, extremists have intensified attacks on basic foundational freedoms and rights. Which one? Like, you don't even believe that a girl has a right to go to the bathroom with only girls. Like, you don't even believe that a girl doesn't have, or that a girl has a right not to be sexually harassed by being flashed by a man who thinks that he's a girl in a locker room. What's more, what's more of a fundamental right than that? You don't even believe that some human beings have the right to life. And you want to lecture us about foundational freedoms and rights. What about the right to work without being forced to inject an experimental drug in your body? You don't believe in that right. She said, for example, they want to take away a woman's right to make decisions about her own body. Um, they attack the sacred right to vote. Again, that's just a lie. That's just a lie. Even liberal outlets have fact-checked that. That Republicans, the voting integrity bills that have passed, do not restrict anyone's right to vote. And by the way, the right to vote is no longer sacred if it is not exclusive to citizens. And we understand that this administration, that the current Democrat Party, believes that non-citizens, even that illegal immigrants, should have the right to vote. That means you don't have a country anymore because citizenship means nothing. Borders mean nothing. Sovereignty means nothing. If the right to vote is not exclusive to citizens. And so the right to vote is not sacred to the left. We know it's not sacred to the left because we know the schemes that they put into place every election, the rampant and I think corrupt ballot harvesting that goes into place to ensure that their candidates win. Um, so I wouldn't say that this is true either. That They believe that the right to vote is sacred. Attempt to silence the voice of the people. Oh, like sicking the DOJ on parents who are concerned about what their kids are learning in schools by going after pro-life advocates and protesters, non-violent pro-life advocates and protesters federally simply because of their stance, like Mark Hawk in Pennsylvania. 
And they try to block common sense reforms to save lives and keep Americans safe from gun violence. You can show me the numbers on that. Show me the numbers. Show me how the policies that you suggest would have a tangibly positive impact on the number of lives lost to humans who are wielding guns. Because the vast majority of these gun deaths, especially those among adolescents, adolescents are happening in Democrat-run cities. It's mostly gang violence where the progressive Soros-backed judges and DAs simply are not enforcing the laws already on the books to protect these young people and to protect the victims. So tell me how taking guns away from innocent people, law-abiding people, is actually going to make the country safer. You're going to have to square that circle for me. And so this is filled with a lot of deceit. And unfortunately, as I said, as is true with all propaganda, with all well-edited videos, a lot of people are going to fall for it. So let's not just laugh at this and say, oh, President Biden, he's so geriatric, he's going to be easy to beat. That's not necessarily true. That is not necessarily true. He's not going to be easy to beat. He should be, but he's not going to be. All right, let's move on to another statement that Joe Biden made. And that is, you know what? I won't even say what he said. I'll just play it for you. Here is Joe Biden um, on Monday in um, a ceremony honoring the Council of Chief State School Officers, 2023 Teachers of the Year. He gave an address uh, where he said this. Rebecca put a teacher's creed into words when she said, there's no such thing as someone else's child. No such thing as someone else's child. Our nation's children are all our children. Our nation's children are all our children. I saw someone else point out it was lifenews.com. They said, so if you have an abortion, you just killed my child. Hmm, that's interesting. No, that's not true. Our children don't belong to the state. We don't share custody of my children, President Biden. And this is what those in charge would like you to believe. Democrat politicians, in particular, teachers, the teachers unions, not all teachers, but these activist left-wing teachers and teachers unions, these bureaucrats, they want you to believe that they are just as interested in your child's well-being as you are. And therefore, they have authority. They have authority to determine what your child learns, the values that are instilled in your child. They might see it at best as some kind of equal partnership, that you get some time with them at home to talk to them about things, but really you just need to be echoing what the experts tell them how the experts teach them at school. Um, You just need to echo what the government is telling them about things like gender and values and abortion and social justice and racial justice and critical race theory, oppresses versus the oppressed, the history of the United States. You just need to agree with those things as a parent. And your job is basically to facilitate the role of the experts at schools and in the government to shape your child into who they want your child to be. And they will convince parents that they're doing this from a place of love, that they're doing this from a place of compassion, um, that they're doing this because they know what's best for your child. And parents really don't. Parents really don't. Like if you hear some of these left-wing teachers, some of these teachers unions, some of these bureaucrats talk about parents, 
they really think parents are stupid. Like they really think that parents are just overly emotional, that they have no idea what they're talking about, that they're just naive, especially if they oppose any of the progressive stuff that's being pushed down the throats of these kids in schools. They'll say that parents are just, they're overreacting. They're overthinking this. They just don't know. They don't know what's best for their kids. So if they're honest, it's not even really that they think it's an equal partnership between schools and parents, but really that they think that they are the primary authority, the primary shaper, the primary influence and discipler of kids. And But here's, here's the truth, is that President Biden, no legislator, Republican or Democrat, knows your child's name. They don't care. They don't know your child's birthday. They don't know your child's favorite food. They don't know their strengths or their weaknesses, their capabilities or their inabilities. They would not shed a tear if your child got diagnosed with leukemia tomorrow and died next year. You could tell them that story. They would not care. They wouldn't be moved to sympathy. They probably wouldn't be moved to compassion. Now, maybe some of them would, but a momentary and fleeting feeling of sadness is the most that you could get. They do not care if they push gender ideology on your child and your child decides to transition, to mutilate their body, to become permanently sterile. And then one day realizes it was all a mistake, that they can never be happy, that they'll never be able to have children, they'll never have a normal body, their brain will never be okay because they've ruined their development with puberty blockers and they just are so desperate that they want to take their life. They will not be the one to find your child in their room after they have died by suicide. And if you told them the story, they wouldn't care. No. We don't co-parent with the government. Our children are not the nation's children. The government doesn't care about your children. They don't care whether they live or die. They don't care about their development. They don't care about their safety, ultimately. They don't care what happens to them. That's just the nature of it. It's not supposed to. That's not the role or the responsibility of the state. You can only care so much, but it's not their responsibility to care for your children. Therefore, they should not have the authority to do so. They shouldn't have the authority to decide what your child learns, the kind of person that your child grows up to be. Remember, education is discipleship. So be very careful when you are deciding on what education your child receives. The kind of education your child receives is the kind of discipleship they are receiving. And remember what we've said in the past, whatever you consume, you then become. So there's an agenda here. There's an agenda for the ownership of your child. There's an agenda for uh, to be the authority when it comes to your child's maturation and development, sexuality, understanding of gender, understanding of themselves, understanding of their role and their purpose in the world, understanding of really just the world in general. Understand that, that there's something deep and dark behind a statement like this. And that it might sound nice that we have some collective responsibility. And yes, we are supposed to love our neighbors, but we do not care about other children the same way that we care about our own children. We don't have the same authority over other children that we do 
out of we do over our own children. We're not supposed to. God created the natural nuclear family to be a part of this hierarchy of authority, family, church, state. And anytime we try to cross those lines or pervert that, the most vulnerable people are always victimized, always children. Okay, I can't wait to tell y'all about my next sponsor, and that is Preborn. So we know that after the overturning of Roe v. Wade, our work as pro-lifers didn't stop. If anything, it doubled because now, because of the amazing pro-life laws that have gone into place, we have a lot of women with surprise pregnancies that need help. And so instead of walking into a Planned Parenthood that just wants their money and to kill their baby, they're walking into these pregnancy resource centers. They're walking into these places to look for material help, to look for free sonograms. And one place that they can do that is in the pre-born network of clinics. Preborn has rescued over 200 thousand babies since they first started. The majority of women who come to their clinics are being pressured to abort. Preborn seeks these women out before they make the ultimate choice, introduces them to the life growing inside of them through a free ultrasound. These ultrasounds cost 28 bucks. So 28 bucks per ultrasound to save a life. We are the fuel, the people that donate to preborn. We are the fuel that actually allows them to do their jobs and to help these women and to help save these babies. All you have to do is dial pound 250, dial pound 250. When you do say baby, that's pound 250 baby, or you can go to preborn.com slash Allie, preborn.com slash Allie. Blaze has a goal of saving 70,000 babies through preborn in 2023. 70,000. You can be a part of that. Go to preborn.com slash Allie. But this is kind of just a part of the left-wing communist playbook and has been for a very long time. It's really a totalitarian playbook, whether you're looking at fascism or communism, to try to recruit child soldiers, um, to try to win children over to your ideology and to your regime, and to activate them to accomplish your purposes. And uh, this statement actually reflects the crux or one key tenet of Marxist ideology. And the Heritage Foundation has done a lot of research on this. And so I'll summarize some of what they say. But in the Communist Manifesto of 1848, Karl Marx called for the abolition of the family. He believed that communism would then ensure that children would be educated by the state and not by their parents. Part of the motivation for him saying this is because Marx believed that religion was a scourge, that religion was the opium of the masses, and it stopped people from being um, enlightened when it came to the beauties and the wonders of communism. And it also inhibited them from wanting to be controlled and taken care of by the state. It granted them a sense of autonomy and stability outside of the state that was a detriment to the goals of communism, which is total control. They believed that under capitalism, children were a heavy and unbearable burden on the family, but the communist society would come to the aid of parents to provide free education, health care, clothing, whatever was needed for the children. All of this was to show that the responsibility for the child was passing from the family to the collective. You actually hear left-wing activists say things like this today. Again, that children belong to everyone. There is a um, there is a communist, she's 
a professing communist author who talks about the abolition of motherhood and forced surrogacy, how all childbearing should actually go from egg donor to gestator and then the child should just be owned by the collective or owned by a community, owned by some kind of facility, how that would free women, that would actually liberate children. Remember, queer theory, as we talked about with James Lindsay, also views any kind of hierarchy, including parental hierarchy and parental authority, as a form of oppression as a form of entrapment. And children actually need to be liberated, not just from the gender binary, not just from age of consent laws, they would say, but also from the oppression, the protection, the provision of the parents, which tend to stand in the way of that kind of so-called liberation, which we would call, of course, perversion. Um, the Soviet Union's first uh, People's Commissar for Welfare, Alexandra Kollontai, wrote, The old family, narrow and petty, where the parents quarrel and are only interested in their own offspring, is not capable of of educating the quote-unquote new person. And what he meant by new person is by the communist. The new creation that communism would create would be someone who is not just concerned with his own nuclear family, but is concerned with the quote-unquote collective. The members of the family do not need the family either because the task of bringing up the children, which was formerly theirs, is passing more and more into the hands of the collective. Um, the mother need no having need have no anxiety about her children. The worker state will assume responsibility for them. The women of the working class, therefore, need not worry over the fact that the family is doomed to disappear. They should, on the contrary, welcome the dawn of a new society, which will liberate women from domestic servitude, lighten the bur burden of motherhood, and finally put an end to the terrible curse of prostitution. Now, the only thing that I agree with there is that prostitution is a terrible curse. And so maybe he actually thought that there was some virtue in what he was uh, what he was saying. But really, he believed and we can already see this manifesting itself in very kind of natural developments here in the United States and in the West. They envision a world in which all men and women worked, worked together for the collective and the children were then taken care of. I don't know by whom, by different workers, by people who apparently cared about them all equally. And we've kind of seen the development of that in the United States under the guise of feminism, under the guise of liberation. We wouldn't have called it communism, but I mean, we very often do. We very often see that in the United States, the kind of outsourcing of parenthood to another entity so that everyone can be liberated. Everyone can be a worker working toward the collective or working to help the market, whatever it is. Now, I'm not saying, I mean, I think we do see biblical precedents for women working in some ways and being productive in a lot of ways, being industrious and being entrepreneurial. But of course, the priority of motherhood, the priority of your children falls on the parents not on someone else, because that's how God created us. That's why communism always fails, because it goes against human nature. I mean, we see the um, importance of private property to God in the very beginning, in the Ten Commandments, thou shall, it's not just thou shall not steal, but also thou shall not covet. So private property is totally legitimate. It's totally valid. It is a part of any functioning and structured society. It absolutely must be protected. This idea that the state should own all private property is not biblical 
whatsoever. But then also this idea that the family is an impediment to total state power, the family is an impediment to communism, is completely anti-biblical. God actually creates the family. First chapter of Genesis, we see it reiterated throughout scripture, honor your father and mother, for example. Um, God created us to care first about our family. Yes, we should love our neighbor. Yes, we should care about the city in which he has providentially placed us, Jeremiah 29, 11. But he has given us, our children, prim- primarily to steward. Like that love that you feel, whether you adopted your child, so the moment that you got your child after the adoption process was completed, or that indescribable moment when the doctor lays that baby on your chest, when you know that you would die a thousand deaths for that child, you would endure any pain for that child, the love that is totally overwhelming you. It really is like your heart walking around your body every day that you're alive. You can't even describe the just how profound and how heartbreaking and how painful and how amazing and how joy-inducing that love is for your child. God gave that to you. You don't have that love for other children. You just don't. You can't. God didn't give you that capacity. You can love them in a way. You can seek their best interest in a way, but only up to a certain point. And yet you, the love that you have for your child is unlike the love that you have for anyone else that is purposeful. The state cannot have that. Your neighbor cannot have that. The collective cannot have that. And so you know what happens when the collective or the state or the nation all equally cares for children? Children are exploited. They're abused because they don't have anyone that really innately and strongly cares about their well-being. That's also why we have such a disaster in our foster care system, even though there are so many wonderful people who are a part of it. But these children are without a continuous loving caretaker to make sure that they are protected from predation. And so it's the most dangerous thing that you can think of, that children belong to the collective, that they belong to the state, that they belong to the nation. Remember all those people saying, no, I care about your child just as much as you do. Let's partner in parenting your child. Look, they don't ultimately care about your child. They don't know your child. They're not going to wake up in the middle of the night when your child is crying because they had a bad dream. They weren't there when you met your child for the first time and were overwhelmed with that tidal wave of love that God placed in your heart. And they won't be there through your child's trials and struggles and successes and failures. You will be. You are the parent to your child. And yes, we can get help. We should get help from our friends, from our community, from our church, from our parents and all of that. But at the end of the day, that's your child. The love and the care that you have for your child, the desire for their best interest rests in you and their parent alone. That's also why the whole surrogacy and sperm and egg donation thing is so messed up. It messes up that whole natural structure that God has put in place for our good and especially the good of children who are voiceless and vulnerable and need parents to stick up for them. So no, President Biden, (laughs) my children are not yours. In fact, I wouldn't even allow my children to be alone with you for five minutes. We talk a lot about these crazy corporations. I actually, when I was in between segments, I was looking at my phone and I just saw an announcement that Disney is suing either the state of Florida or Ron DeSantis. I'll have to look at that story again. I'm sure we'll be reporting on it soon. But these these progressive companies are out 
of control. And if you are tired of spending your money at these companies that hate you and fight against your values, you should be aligning as much as you can with companies that actually align with you. That's why Public Square exists, spelled public S. Q. It's an app that you download onto your phone. You can put in your email, put in your general location, and then you'll see local businesses and services that believe in the same things that you do. So you can you can support the local coffee shop, the local mechanic, or the local business that is actually in partnership with you in trying to save our country from the predation of progressivism. So go to publicsq.com, publicsq.com. You can download the app today. You can also list your business. If you're a business owner, you want people to know about you people who share your values to buy your stuff, to use your services, then you should list your business on Public SQ. That's publicsq.com. Download the app today, publicsq.com. Okay, so my friend Lila Rose of Live Action, I saw her highlight this on Twitter and I just thought it was really interesting. She posted a screenshot of emails that she had received, those spam marketing emails from several companies basically a kind of apologizing for celebrating Mother's Day, but saying, look, you can opt out of our Mother's Day emails if you want to, which I've never seen for anything else. I've never, I've never seen a company say, hey, if you want to opt out of our Pride Month emails, you can totally do that. And yet when it comes to Mother's Day, these companies are saying, oh, we understand that this might be really sensitive and you might not want to, you might not want to receive these emails. So here's from DoorDash, a note about Mother's Day. We understand that Mother's Day may be a difficult time for some. Click the button below if you'd prefer to be removed from additional emails and push notifications this year. This is from Fries. Uh, We know Mother's Day and Father's Day can be sensitive times for some. If you'd like to opt out of our emails and push notifications for these holidays, please tap below. From Mac. Hi there. We understand that Mother's Day can be a difficult time for some of us. If you'd rather not receive emails about the holiday this year, let us know by following the link below. Uh, Levi's. Hey there. So Mother's Day is just around the corner. And before we start bombarding you with mom-related content, we just wanted to check in first. We know motherhood and all the associated feelings, emotions, and memories can be tricky and even triggering for some. You can opt out of our Mother's Day content by clicking here. All right. I'm interested to hear what you guys think about this, because I can see differing perspectives. I mean, sure, if you just had your mom die, or maybe you've been struggling with infertility, maybe you just went through a stillborn birth. Maybe there are a lot of reasons why celebrating Mother's Day is really hard for you. I I don't want to discount that because I think that's true. And actually, to me, it shows just how important like the connection to our mother is and the connection to our father is that apparently these companies feel that they have to issue a statement like this. This just kind of goes to show what we were just saying in the last segment that, I mean, parenting is a, it's a matter of, of the heart. Like the family runs really deep. The emotional and spiritual and physical implications of all of those things are very, very profound to the point to where they can have something like Father's Day or Mother's Day can have a very positive or negative effect on you. I still... I personally think that this is odd. While I understand that these days can be hard for people and I can really appreciate that. Again, I don't I've never seen this before. Am I wrong to say that this is not normal? I've never seen a company tell me that I can opt out of certain kinds of emails. Like Pride Month or Day of Transgender Visibility or I mean, some people might want to opt out of Black History Month. I got an email the other day 
saying something, which I have debunked many times on this podcast, saying something about institutional racism is the cause of black maternal death in this country, which is not true, which is not true. We've talked many times how the number one cause of black women dying in the first year after birth is actually being killed by the father of their child or the boyfriend. So uh, that bothered me, but I didn't get the option to opt out. No one said, hey, do you want to hear more about this? I've never seen this before. So I do think it's interesting that there is hypersensitivity when it comes to Father's Day and Mother's Day that I've never seen around anything else. I can't even, if I have like on my calendar, if it tells me that it's I don't know, some holiday that I don't celebrate, Ramadan. I can't even take that off my calendar. They're like, no, you will recognize that it is Ramadan. You will absolutely recognize it. We will send you an alert to remind you that today is Ramadan. I can't opt out of that, but I can opt out of my Levi's Mother's Day emails. I don't know. I just think it's odd. This is not something that I'm going to be super dogmatic about. Like, if you think that this is great, this is like a step towards... I don't know, truth-filled compassion. I'm willing to hear that. But I guess I am a little sensitive about any kind of anti-Mother's Day sentiment. Everyone in the world has a mother and a father. Whether you are raised by a mother and a father, that's a different question. But everyone in the world has a mother and a father. So if anything, I mean, if Mother's Day is a difficult day for you, and again, I can appreciate and understand why it would be for so many reasons, take it as a day, I would say, to recognize that if you are a Christian, you belong somewhere. You are a part of a family. You are a son or a daughter of God. You are a co-heir with Christ and the most magnificent and glorious and eternal family that exists. And you belong. You have a purpose. You are seen. You are known by the God of the universe. You are forgiven through Christ. Your identity is in that. If you had a mother who didn't love you, if you don't have children to love yourself, um, understand that you are fully loved and fully known by the God who made you and saved you through Christ. So if nothing else, it is at the very least a day to celebrate that. But I'm interested to know what y'all think about that. All right, my favorite event, my favorite speaking event of the year is coming up, you guys. June 9th to 11th is the Young Women's Leadership Summit that is put on by Turning Point USA every year. I've been speaking at this event, I think, since... 2017 or 2018. I helped plan it, I think, in 2019. I just love this event. It's so fun. And you don't have to be a quote-unquote young woman to attend, although I'm sure all of you relatable gals, related gals, related bells, what did we ever settle on, are all young in my eyes. But you can really be any age woman as long as you're actually a woman. You can come to YWLS. So moms, you can bring your daughters, bring your granddaughters. Girls, you can bring your moms. Come with friends. This is an amazing event. I will be there. You will get the opportunity probably to meet me. I always do like a kind of meet and greet and I will be speaking. I'm so excited. It's like a 70s retro theme this year. I already have my dress. I'm just trying to decide what shoes to wear. I'm so excited. It's going to be so encouraging. You're going to be surrounded by like-minded women and hear so much encouragement from the people that are speaking on 
stage. Candace Owens will be there. Riley Gaines will be there. Alex Clark, lots of other amazing women. Go to tpusa.com slash YWLS, tpusa.com slash YWLS. You can use offer code Allie for 25% off. What? That's an amazing deal. tpusa.com slash YWLS. It's a lot of letters. Look in the description of the episode. You can click on it. Use discount code Allie for 25% off. Discount code Allie for 25% off at tpusa.com slash YWLS. All right. Last thing I just wanted to discuss is this is a follow-up from yesterday, which I thought was an interesting development. And this is about the Tucker Carlson oust at Fox News. Go back and listen to or watch yesterday's episode if you want a, a breakdown of that. But this is very, it's perfect for what we talk about. The It's the nexus of what we discuss so much. So Tucker Carlson's prayer Uh, Tucker Carlson's prayer talk may have led to his ouster, reports Vanity Fair. So Vanity Fair, of course, is going to be left-leaning, as almost all outlets are, especially female outlets. However, I do find some very fair reporting in Vanity Fair. They surprise me a lot. Like, they have a lot of articles, and I'm like, okay, that was actually pretty fair and pretty objective. So a lot of times I actually appreciate them. So Tucker Carlson's prayer talk may have led to his ouster. What they're referring to is his speech last Friday at the Heritage Foundation's 50th anniversary gala. Like I said, I was I was a part of the Heritage Foundation celebration last week. I wasn't able to stay for his talk, and I wish that I had because so many people have talked about it. We played a little clip yesterday where basically he argues that, look, we're not really in a political debate anymore, which listeners to Relatable, like, yes, we will say yes and amen because we have also been talking about that for a long time. This is not really politics. Like, we're talking about morality. We're talking about differences between tr- true truth and and lies between good and evil like that's really the fundamental battle at play here when you're talking about something like castrating the next generation which is exactly what Tucker Carlson spoke about that policy papers cannot account to for what the left is advocating for right now and so while he himself didn't offer like a bunch of theological uh, advice he even made a joke about that i mean he did evoke some spiritual language. You have to when you're talking about all of this. But apparently, uh, Fox Corporation chair Rupert Murdoch, he is a 92-year-old media mogul, apparently he did not like that. He doesn't like the spiritual talk, said a source. While some are crediting his departure, Tucker's departure, to the $787.5 million Dominion settlement and others to the lawsuit filed by former Fox producer Abby Grossberg. As Megyn Kelly has said, she doesn't think either of those are the real reason why uh, he was ousted. Uh, Vanity Fair argues that neither of these uh, reasons fully add up. And they say, according to a source, Murdoch found Carlson's speech, which was laced with religious overtones, too extreme. That stuff freaks Rupert out. He doesn't like all the spiritual talk. Now, that is hard for me to believe. Now, it's not hard for me to believe that he's not a Christian, that he's not spiritual himself, Rupert Murdoch. So it wouldn't surprise me that he doesn't like it, but that that would be the reason for it. That's a little surprising to me because 
this speech was very Tucker Carlson-esque. He talks about this stuff. He talks about faith a lot on his show, or at least he brings guests on who talk about faith on his show. Maybe this was a little deeper than usual. Maybe it was more than just a few minutes of talking about this kind of stuff. And so maybe that's what made him uncomfortable. But that's surprising to me. I mean, he's given similar speeches in the past. So like I said yesterday, I think it had to be more than one thing or one big thing that none of us really know about yet. I'm sure that we'll get more information as time goes on. But here's an interesting here's an interesting part of this. Rupert Murdoch, Vanity Fair says, may have been unnerved by Carlson's religious talk because it echoed the end times worldview of Murdoch's ex-fiance, Ann Leslie Smith. The source said Ann Leslie Smith would have been Murdoch's fifth wife. Murdoch recently called off their engagement um, after two weeks, be, partly because Smith had told Carlson told people that Carlson was a quote-unquote messenger from God. Murdoch had seen Carlson and Smith discuss religion firsthand at a dinner in March. During dinner, Smith pulled out a Bible and started reading passages from the book of Exodus. Love it. Uh, Rupert just sat there and stared, the source said. A few days later, Murdoch and Smith called off the wedding. And so this was an interesting part. I thought this was a very interesting sentence in this article. By taking Carlson off the air, Murdoch was also taking away his ex's favorite show. Hmm. Interesting. So many layers there. Now, we don't know. That's a theory. To me, it's not a super compelling theory. But it's interesting if it is true. Just the anti-Christian sentiment from the most influential places in our culture, it continues. And it has a very serious effect on people. Now, God is bigger than Rupert Murdoch. He actually laughs at the people who think they have power and authority here on earth to try to thwart his will because they don't. They don't. Um, They can act in a way that they think will solidify their power or will perpetuate their ideology or whatever, but ultimately they will come to nothing. We read Psalm 37 a lot. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that Tucker Carlson is some messenger from God, Um, As I said yesterday, Tucker Carlson, I want you to get your ESV study Bible and start in the book of John. Also, Rupert Murdoch, if you would like to as well. Um, But this is like, this is such an interesting revelation about the ideology that pushes Fox. Because as we said yesterday, they have become more liberal. Bruce slash Caitlin is now like a key contributor. They have segments glorifying child transition as they did last summer on Dana Perino's show. Again, I like Dana Prino, but it was an egregious segment. They're definitely liberal in a lot of ways. Not every host, of course. But I think a lot of the people behind the scenes, a lot of the people at the top, I mean, they're, they're definitely more liberal than, than you and me, for sure. And so Tucker seemed to kind of push the envelope on that. It's interesting, though. But then you've got other Christians there. I mean, I think Shannon Bream is amazing. She's a Christian. She's outspoken about her faith. On Fox Nation, they do have like some Bible study things that go on, but I don't know, maybe that's okay because it's kind of contained to the Bible study, the Bible study space, and it's not something that seeps into the rest of the content. But I mean, Fox and Friends does like church type stories and things like that. I don't know, but there was something definitely more theological and spiritual about Tucker's speech. I don't know. 
I'm thinking about this. I'm still going to be considering this. And we're going to follow up on this story um, next week. And I'll be interested because apparently, like like I said yesterday, I don't know him personally, but I know a lot of people who know him personally and who text with him on a regular basis. From what I've heard as of this point, he has not texted any of them back saying anything. And I still think that he should be on a private jet with his spouse going to some private island just fishing for a month. Why not? Just ignore everyone. But eventually we will hear more about this. I'll be interested to see who he gives his first interview to. You think it's going to be relatable? It's it's probably going to be relatable, right? No, I bet it'll be, hmm. Ooh, I was going to say Megan Kelly. We'll have to see. I don't know. You can tell me what you think in the comments or in a message on Instagram. All right. That's all we got time for today. Guess what, guys? Tomorrow, Rosaria Butterfield is on the show. And I'm so, so excited. I'll link the past episode that I did about her recent article so you can catch up on that if you haven't already. All right. See you guys back here then.